Hello, and welcome to the Weird Waves podcast. My name is Taylor, and this is episode 28. On this week's episode, we talk to Emmy Barneau. She is a surfer from Le Lake, uh, France. I probably butchered that translation. However, she is a surfer from the Mediterranean, and she's also the um, owner, the person who runs the Ocean Riders podcast. So we're doing a little bit of a podcast exchange this week, and it was really cool. Um, she has a very interesting story. We talked a lot about how she actually quit surfing for 10 years, which is just incredible now talking to somebody who runs a podcast about surfing. You just can't imagine somebody quitting. But she tells us that story, and she really talks a lot about the ups and downs of running a business. She has a very entrepreneurial spirit, and it is really cool to hear someone talk so openly and honestly about the mistakes that they've made and what they've learned from those mistakes in business. So I really hope that you guys enjoy this week's episode. Hi. Nice to meet you. Yeah, nice <laughs> to meet you too. How are you? Is it? Are you in the same time zone as us? Um, no, actually, I'm in France. I'm based in France, so it's okay. um, 5 p.m. right now. Oh, okay. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's so lovely to meet you. Yeah, you too. You too. It's cool. Like. <laughs> podcasting uh ladies it's awesome (laughs) (laughs) it's cool the app that you use because Uh um it got the time zones right that's what I was really nervous about I might actually pick up that trick from you because that's been the most complicated thing is trying to figure out different time zones uh huh. Yeah, that's it's really useful because it calculates the time zone of my guest um and just sort of opens up the the slots for the the right time zones for me and for the guests so that's really useful yeah that's really cool I'll have to look into that a little bit more I was telling my husband that it was really helpful so (laughs) so So can you can you hear me okay is this is my mic working properly is that yeah yeah it's excellent okay I almost got that mic too (laughs) I have this little snowball one oh cool that's nice yeah I can just sneak it out of the camera frame a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I guess let's start with what is your name? Okay. Uh, Hi, my name's Imi, um, Imi Bono. And um, I'm, I was born and raised in the UK. Um, Sorry, would you like me to introduce myself completely or or just just the name? Yeah, let's, let's just, let's start the whole complete intro. So your name is Imi. And Imi's uh, yeah, so my name's Imi, which is short for Imogen. Um, but because I live in France, Imogen can't be pronounced properly, so I just go by Imi. Okay. And my surname is Barno because I'm married to a Frenchman. Um, and uh, sorry, my, my English isn't very, isn't that good. It, that's why sometimes my podcast has got sort of scripts and everything because I've been living in France for the past thirty years. Okay. So my French is better than my English. That's but, so funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, I've sort of got this, sort of kept this um, 10 year old's vocabulary in English and very frightfully, frightfully sort of proper accent that my parents, I inherited from my parents. Um, and so, yeah, it hasn't sort of moved on from very much from there. But yeah, that's, uh, that's my name, Imi. And is Imogen a pretty, is it a very British name? Well, actually, when I was young, nobody was called Imogen. And apparently, it's become really trendy. So it's a British name. It means um, it's actually the gen in Imogen stands for, um, well, it comes from the, the word genetics, 
birth, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and Imo uh, apparently means the last born. So Imogen is the last born. So I'm the last of three sisters. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> You're the baby. I'm the baby. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. And which part of the UK did you grow up in? Okay, well, I, I was born and raised in Cambridge um, in the UK. So um, it was a really beautiful city. It's got a river flowing through it. It's got all the universities, um, very sort of studenty vibe to it. But at the same time, it's very snobbish. So um, that's mm. the sort of, that's where I came from. And um, And then when I moved to France, actually, my parents moved over and I came with them obviously I was only 11 years old and um and we moved to a place called Aix-en-Provence which is a very nice city as well full of fountains and old-fashioned buildings and um university as well and uh, and that's where I, I grew up what made your parents move to France? Well, uh, the st long story short, my dad used to have a company. He was um, CEO of a company that was like the ancestor of Google Maps. So he started in the seventy in the seventies, sorry, and he um, uh, so he was into computer aided design. He was one of the pioneers, and um, and created a software for mapping technology and everything. And in the in eighty five, he had an opportunity to sell his business and retire early and so he sold it to the um, aviation company McDonnell Douglas and we had the choice between either moving to St. Louis, Missouri oh. or to move to the south of France and my parents oh my chose gosh. to move to the south of France instead. <laughs> that is so, I can't think of two most more different places. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we we chose we chose the south of France route, and um, I'm quite happy actually. It's where I met my husband. Uh, my kids are French, um, and it's a lovely part of the world, despite the fact that the the waves are quite small. So, in terms of weird waves, we've got Mediterranean waves down here. Right. So, how close is that to um, Baritz? Okay, we're about 700 kilometers away, so that would be what 500 miles. Okay. It's a seven-hour journey. Okay, um, so, it's quite so we're right on the other side of um of, of the of the country, but uh, we're on the Mediterranean coast, so between Italy and Spain, uh -huh. and um, it's a really nice part of the world. And in the winter time, we get lots of swell, which is a sort of good. Uh, it's a secret, but we get some nice swells from time to time. That's so cool. So yeah. did you know French before your family moved to France? Well, I did actually, because um, my mum uh, was a bit sort of mad and, and decided to take a me on my own and um, and move to France for a year and take a sabbatical. So I was about seven years old uh, when I came to France for the first time. And um, so I spent a year with my mum and we, um, so I learned French the hard way. Like I didn't speak a word. I, I remember going to the, the bakeries with a little note saying, please, could I have a baguette and a, and a pain chocolat? Um, and then by the end of the year, I was speaking fluently and um, you know, had loads of friends and, and everything. But it was very difficult to sort of fit in at the beginning um, and to understand what was going on because I didn't speak a word of French. But the second time we came over, so when my dad sold his company and um, I and we came to to live here for good. Um, I had a head start basically, uh, so I spoke French, and um, and I was able to sort of blend into the French atmosphere. That's so. That's really cool. I've heard from people that are French that it is a little bit difficult for people to become French. 
Uh-huh. Has that been your experience? It has actually. I, I'm still not French. I still have a British passport and I tried to apply for French citizenship. So I've, I've been here for 35 years and it's so complicated. I'm married to a Frenchman. I've been married to a Frenchman for the past 20 years. And despite that, it's really complicated. So um, at the moment, I'm still on sort of green card visa kind of status um, and living in France wow. that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. What about culturally? Do you feel like culturally you are French? Well, it depends. Um, I remember when I was a y- lot younger, I'd like to, like to sort of act French when I was in England, seeing my, my friends, and then act <laughs> English when I was in France, like just to sort of stand out a bit. But um, yeah, um, I'd say that um, in terms of culture, my kind of culture stopped in the 80s for the English part so I'm a bit kind of um I'm missing out on all the sort of what's going on in England and everything on the side in terms of music and films and tv series and celebrities and all that kind of stuff and but in uh, but right now um I'm more sort of French that way in terms of sort of keeping up to date that's <laughs> it's just <laughs> funny too because when I was traveling I just remember the the French and the Brit, they have kind of this yeah. weird, like, cultural thing. So to have somebody yeah. who left, I think probably because it was earlier, maybe it was different for you. But it's just, you know, it's well, it's funny. I'm really nervous, actually, about this this interview because um, I'm used to interviewing other people. But actually talking about myself is much more complicated than I expected. Oh, that, no, that, that's okay. Uh, I mean... <laughs> don't be nervous it, it sound it's sounding great and you know there's no like I said there's no pressure of anything so you know just it it is kind of a strange thing to talk about yourself when you're used to listening to other people and pushing exactly. their buttons <laughs> exactly um, so when did you start surfing Oh, okay. So um, I started surfing at the age of um, 17. Um, In fact, I was really fortunate. Uh, Basically, when I was 17 or a bit earlier, um, I was into snowboarding um, Mm -hmm. because we got the French Alps not too far away. And I used to go off uh, for weekends with friends and things like that. And I I learned to snowboard and it was fantastic. And um, and then um, my best friend, she um, she was all into surfing as well. And then at the same, but she didn't surf, but she was like into the surfers. Like at that time, it was like more attracted to the surfers than actual sport itself. But basically, <laughs> um, yeah, Point Break came out, and we had a total crush on Keanu Reeves, um, and uh, you know the whole kind of surfing vibe. And that summer. Um, I was really fortunate to go on a trip with my dad. Uh, he was on a business trip and I was sort of, um, tagging along and we did a stop in Hawaii and I managed to sort of take a, a surfing lesson. So this is, this is 1991, something like that. And I took a surfing lesson and I was totally hooked on surfing. So as soon as I got back, um, I sort of worked on weekends and I worked, you know, do babysitting, anything I could do to actually save up money to get a surfboard. And then the following summer, I, I did a trip to Osgore, which is on the West Coast, which is near Biarritz, and um, and managed to buy my first surfboard. So that was that was, was sort of 
that was my story with with surfing. But um, I was a terrible surfer to start with. Um, didn't get any anywhere past the white water. Um, it, but I was just I was so attracted to the vibes, the values, the sort of environmental friend, you know, the the environmental kind of concept of surfing, the soul surfers, the you know, all that kind of beach bum vibe. And um, and so the following year I. I um I moved to the UK for three months to um to uh, it was my gap year so I was working in London, and every weekend I'd I'd drive over to the west coast of England to go surfing, and um I used to sleep in my car and you know in the middle of nowhere and it was very 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 dangerous but um at the same time it was it was so fun um it was great so uh, yeah that's my that's how I began to surf. Um, actually I went off surfing for about 10 years as well after a massive accident. Oh really? Uh, yeah. I had a sort of not near death experience, but I had a really frightening accident surfing and, um, and I just, uh, uh I, I sold my boards and said, right, that's it. I'll you know, oh. never again. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty crazy. So what yeah. happened? Well, um, obviously, you know, when you, when you start, I, I'd bought a new surfboard, which was, um, um, a tiny kind of toothpick size surfboard, but obviously you never know when you're starting, you have to have, start with a big soft board, otherwise it doesn't sort of really work. But, um, no, I started, uh, with the, I had this, this, um, tiny surfboard and, um, um, I was with my, boyfriend at the time who was my husband and uh, we were in the canary islands and there was an amazing break i could see it sort of really breaking perfectly with a tube and everything i thought oh yeah let's go and let's go surfing but there was nobody out and i should have sort of taken that as a as a clue um and i was stuck out just where the the, the, the wave was breaking and i got smashed onto the rocks and i i opened you know i slipped my um my leg open with my fin and and my head crashed on the rocks and so i came up sort of you know leaping for breath and everything and i thought oh my god this is so stupid how did you how could you have got yourself into such an awful situation and um and after i came back home i just sort of yeah sold my boards and thought that's that's it for me and surfing so i focused on on studying and getting a career and um and yeah doing lots of land sports i guess <laughs> wow that's that's really how long had you been surfing in the boat well, before you quit i guess i'd been surfing maybe for 2 years so okay. I, was, I was still a total beginner uh, basically and didn't i couldn't sort of catch a wave properly with my toothpick and um i'd always sort of fall over and everything so it wasn't i wasn't a very good surfer and i didn't have that kind of, i was a good swimmer but i wasn't a good surfer and um yeah so that really kind of put me off put me off uh, taking bad decisions wow so in the meantime, in in that break, you <laughs> were studying. What were you studying? So I studied um, first of all a sort of bachelor in international trade, and then I um, went to a business school and did uh, service marketing and communication. And um, by that time, I'd found a job as an apprentice in a really big high tech company down here in the south of France. And um, and then I got hired after the end of my apprenticeship and. Um, and, uh, I became a sort of product manager for, um, smart cards, actually the smart cards that you put in your phone, you know, oh. the SIM card. And, uh, yeah, I was product manager in that company that was producing those, those little thingies. So, uh, yeah, that was an interesting time. Um, yeah. I bet that's something that changed 
really quickly. Even I remember like they yeah. were really big and they were kind of like, they changed shape. <laughs> yeah, so by the time I left that job, the cards were probably the biggest that they were. Um, and then they sort of downsized, um, they downsized all the time. And, and I, I left before the smartphone had even in, been invented. Um, and they were just talking about 4G when I was leaving. So not sorry, they were talking about 3G when I was leaving. So it was a long, long time ago. And um, and so I went into a startup. It was the beginning of the, uh, the year 2000. So I was in a startup that went belly up as well. That was a good experience, you know, sort of seeing the growth and then seeing everything plummet. Um, and then I worked with my husband actually in his, uh, in his family business, building pools and houses. So I went into the construction and the, and the design sort of business. And I was doing a job that I hated, which was because of my business degree, I was, um, okay with numbers and Excel spreadsheets and the accounting. And so they just gave me that job to do, which was really boring. Um, and I just hated the job. Um, and yeah, so we did a, we had, in fact, three businesses in a row um that I helped run and um and then in 2013 or 12 13 I said well that's enough I just can't stand this job anymore um let's let's try a sabbatical so from 2005 until 2012 13 when we left for the sabbatical every year we'd put our house up for the market on the market to sell and we wanted to move to another country so um in fact, this is a long story, but I'm, I hope I'm not boring your listeners. But not at all. Um, <laughs> no, this is awesome. <laughs> but actually, so I took up surfing when my my eldest was um, seven, and I saw, and he wanted to enroll in a surfing class on the west coast, and uh, I thought, oh, that's a good idea. And I saw him having so much fun, I thought, this is ridiculous. I've got to take up surfing again. So that's what I did, and um, for you know a year or two in a row, we'd go every holiday, we'd go to back to the Atlantic coast and go go surfing, and and I'd learn to get better and you know overcome my fear of big waves and things like that and um and eventually we um we uh made it to um um Eventually, yeah, every year we'd put our house up on the market to sell it. And one year we went to Costa Rica and we thought, oh, this is it. We want to, we, we're going to move to Costa Rica. We're going to set up a business there, do a little kind of boutique hotel. We know how to do building. We know how to do marketing. We know how to do all sorts of different things. Let's just go. Um, and then we chickened out. And then <laughs> the, the, the year afterwards, we did the same thing and then chicken out. And then the year afterwards, we did the same thing and chicken out. So every year we sort of been, um, uh, we'd been sort of putting our house on the market and, and um trying to find a new a new a new place to live and everything and one year i was surfing out in the med and my husband who's not a surfer he was he he came with me but you know reluctantly because usually when there are waves it's raining or really bad winds or you know things like that and um anyway he was sort of tootling around the city that we were that i was surfing in and landed on a piece of land that was unoccupied and he thought, well, maybe this land is up for sale. I'll go and check online. So he went on the kind of equivalent of Craigslist and found that there was this piece of land for sale. And by that time, I tell, I told him, listen, we're not going to, we're not going to try and find a new house or a new project uh, as long as we haven't sold our house. You know, this is the we, we need that as the stepping stone to go any further. And one thing led to another, and he made an offer on the piece of land. And bingo, like in two, in the space of two weeks, we'd sold our house, and we were able to build a new house on the on the on the new piece of land. So that was an exciting project, and we built this beautiful 
kind of tree house uh kind of house that was there was this eucalyptus tree that was growing in the right in the middle of the piece of land and we actually built a house that that um wrapped around the eucalyptus so we had the eucalyptus growing through the sort of top terrace and with the branches all over the place it was a really really nice house and um after living there for about two three years the same kind of thing came up again like oh let's do something completely different and move to another country blah 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 and so we put the house up on the market and uh, by that time we were introduced to a place called green school in bali for our kids and i don't um it's it's a school that's located in the jungle in bali so bali for me meant surfing and um so we went and and visited and found a bob obviously bali is beautiful uh and the very last day we went and visited the school so by then my kids were 10 and 8 and um and we saw this school and it was just the most amazing place on earth. It's this bamboo structure in the middle of the jungle. Um, and it's all, uh, oriented towards uh, sustainability and teaching kids how to be the greenest students on earth. Um, and we were just so, um, I don't know how to say it in English. It was like, we were kind of traversed by this, the whole vibes of this place. And we thought, well, this is it. This is our project. This is what we've got to do. And in fact, we did everything we could in our pack. We had it, did everything we could to actually put our business on the market, to put our house on the market. And eventually we actually made it and moved to Bali for six months. So that was a really, really exciting, exciting time for me um, and for my kids and for my husband and everything. And uh, um, learned the language in, in, uh, in Indonesia and um, made loads of friends. And it was, it was just an amazing, experience and very empowering as well and I'm sure that surfing actually helped me overcoming that fear of surfing actually helped me overcome lots of other fears of living in a foreign country and you know trying to drive in the middle of Bali is like madness but you know you just sort of learn all these sort of things all these skills and by the time I got back home um I decided to start my own business and um I I discovered in Bali a a really nice company called Big Tree Farms that was um basically a chocolate factory um and they were specialized in coconut sugar and organic chocolate and raw chocolates and superfoods and all sorts of things like that and um and so I became their exclusive distributor in France and um set up my business um and so it was an online website it was an e-commerce site and um being a wholesaler and a and um uh for the for their products and also sort of selling selling direct so yeah it was a really really interesting experience um and at the end of the day in bali it's it's kind of haphazard doing business with uh, with indonesia because they don't warn you when they're running out of products or they don't warn you when they've sort of discontinued products and things like that so i had a bit of a bit of trouble um actually sort of getting my products over and then eventually i decided to pivot my activity and become a um a freelance marketer and webmaster so that's what i do today is I make websites and do graphic design and do, um, um, you know, e-commerce websites or just nice plain um, blogs or uh, Airbnb site, you know, anything, any, anything, you name it. So um, um, that's what I've been doing for the past two years. And actually building this podcast was also part of a, sorry, building my podcast, the Ocean Riders podcast was also sort of part of my project. Um, and I really wanted to try out podcast, uh, podcasting and, and also talk about my passion, which is surfing today. So that's, uh, that's why, uh, that's where I am right now. So <laughs> that's, that's so, 
so cool. Um, why? What made you come back to France after being in Bali? Well, um, we um, when we sold the business, we only sold half of it, um, and uh, the other the, the the guy who bought our um, our business, he sort of basically ran it into the ground oh, um, in the six months. So we had to come back and sort of rebuild it and save it. So it was a bit of a, it was a bit kind of traumatic um, at the time, um, but we managed to rebuild it and get it set up um, again. And um, yeah, and a couple of years later, we bought back the associates um, shares and took control over the business again. So yeah, it was pretty... Um, uh, yeah, that was a, that was an interesting time of life. I as well. I wouldn't say it was the funnest time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like you've seen at least a couple of businesses go under or go close to under. Yeah. So that's yeah. And I would it's, say. It's, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. No, it's really good training for um, managing crises. Um, crises. I don't know if you say it like that. Um, and it's great training. Um, really, really, uh, I would, I wouldn't recommend it to everybody because you have to have a very, very kind of sturdy personality and philosophy and sort of have to, um, have other interests, put it that way. But, um, yeah, it's, it was an interesting time. What, what is the biggest takeaway that you would say you had from that time? Well, I guess, um, well, first of all, follow your dreams and the planets will align. Like our dream was to move to Bali and um, everything sort of went the way it was supposed to go. Um, that was really, really interesting. And then the second, it would be, um, you know, a business, it's not your child's, it's not your baby. Um, don't get sentimental with businesses. Like just keep it, try and keep um as outside as possible, even though even though you put your heart and soul into it. Now I've learned this after sort of um, trying and failing a few. So this is this is something that's um, that 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 is important. But it also sort of gives you the stamina, and it also gives you the 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 the, the willpower and the force and the strength to actually start up again. And basically, don't make the same mistakes as before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A good idea. Well. It's it's just interesting because the company or the business that was your and your husband's it was a family business, right? Yeah, yeah. Gosh. So we had all our eggs were in the same basket. Yeah, um, and so yeah, we lost we lost a lot of money, but at the same time we gained a lot of experience. And um, I can say now at the age of forty five that I've got a hell of a lot of experience, and that I get <laughs> to share it um, also with my clients. And and yeah, and and it's it's been really interesting actually, sort of figuring out um, how everything, um, you know, how people react and. And I'll always be able to build on this experience. Like it's not lost when the business got lost. So, you know, those are sorts of things that are really interesting. Yeah, I would say so. I would, yeah, it's, it's just, um, I think people don't talk about crisis enough in a weird yeah. way. I think everybody yeah. wants to talk about the, the best parts of their lives. So I just think it's really, um, I like that you talked about, more than one kind of crisis situation because <laughs> it just shines shines that light on it and um it shows a very 
interesting life perspective because you seem like a pretty positive person yeah i mean i must say i haven't it hasn't been i haven't gone through through this unscathed like okay. um it, at the time it was extremely depressing and it was extremely difficult to actually overcome overcome this but luckily um you know having a great family um my kid you know having another also having something else in life like surfing like my family um and like sort of learning new skills has actually helped me um kind of distract me from the really sort of feeling sorry for yourself kind of self-pity sort of thing and actually move forward into something positive so yeah that's really that's really important is to actually get distractions (laughs) well how so you started back surfing in 2012 you said in 2007 actually 2007 okay um yeah and um also very very beginner and then I sort of built up on my I built up my level which is quite exciting um and um yeah and right now I'm I'm able to cross step on a longboard so I'm very very happy with I'm very chuffed <laughs> awesome. with myself now <laughs> I'd also almost get a hang five in there but not quite and actually I've pivoted from being a sort of shortboard enthusiast because in the in the 90s you just want to go into you wanted to go into into shortboarding because longboarding was for old fogies and 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 it wasn't very fashionable and it wasn't very sort of hip or whatever and I've actually come back on that and find that longboarding is so pleasurable and it's so relaxing and so I don't know there's something where you're playing with the wave and not kind of not trying to shred it which is really really nice um it's a really nice feeling I think it's making a huge comeback right now too yeah if you have I don't usually I don't watch a ton of pro surfing but what I've really liked is watching those longboarding championships it's yeah. so cool. Yes, absolutely. And seeing and seeing how they're dancing on their board and dancing with the waves is just so inspiring. And so, um, yeah, it's it was it's been really really inspirational. And actually, when I um clo- sort of shut down my business for organic foods, um, or sort of put it in in sleep mode, put it that way, um, I actually spent a lot of time doing some drawing and painting and um, and lots of art and everything that I was drawing was um, female longboarders. So that really sort of, by drawing them, you also kind of get the kind of gist of the waves and the positioning and it was, it was it's, it's been really, really nice to actually sort of um, reconnect with the, with the, with the waves that way as well. When you were progressing through your surfing, is there specific things that you were doing to kind of um, move forward or I guess see surfing differently than when you, before you quit? Well, um, the first few sessions I, I took lessons. So that was really important to actually get that confidence back. And to actually learn to read the waves and to read the ocean, which was terrifying me at the time. You know, anything above, I don't know, a f- uh, two or three foot high was just completely paralyzing for me. So uh, getting a few lessons um, lessons in was really important at the beginning. Um, and then when my, as my kids were surfing as well, I'd sort of drop them off at the surf lessons and, and practice at the same time as them. So practice, practice, practice really, really made a difference, um, especially when... When I started to surf, 
the internet didn't exist and you couldn't c- catch up with um any forecasts you didn't have any information as to where and and when there was any waves in the mediterranean whereas um as when I sort of took it up for the second time, uh, there were, we, we, I used to run a little forum online where we had uh, everybody would sort of give their tips on where the waves are breaking every day, or I would take photos, you know, give them the sort of photo of the day, you know, all sorts of things, and, and that's how I sort of managed to actually catch up with the with the surfing is knowing when there are waves and where they are and where they're breaking and everything. That was really important. And then um, the rest of your surfing is it just were you progressing from putting a specific emphasis on something like cross-stepping or um, any of those skills or did it just kind of come It to you? sort of came organically. Um, and then last summer I, uh, I took a, a lesson for the cross-stepping thingy and everything. But it's, it's actually quite complicated when you're doing lessons in a kind of intermediate level because um, either you have to come out of the water and go back in again and, and you lose a lot of time actually doing that. Um but definitely, yeah, um, uh, I learned a lot during sort of, it was a five-day course, a surf clinic. Um, I learned a hell of a lot about cross-stepping and about positioning of the arms and the look, lean, and then you turn kind of thing. All those sorts of things were really, really, um, um, really stuck in my head and helped me progress, especially this year, actually. I love hearing about that because... Um... It's, it's something I've become a little, me personally, I've become more interested in kind of these like more advanced or intermediate surf lessons. We had mm-hmm. um, someone on the podcast who um, was talking about wanting to do more advanced coaching. And he was even talking about him getting a trainer himself, even mm-hmm. though he's also a surf coach. And um, so I love hearing about that because I think you know, there's a lot of ego that goes into surfing. And I think that it's interesting to see this kind of trend of people getting more lessons and stuff yeah. at an immediate level. And it's really important. What, what what was holding me back personally was this fear of the big waves. Um, so I wasn't progressing as fast as I probably could have been also because I was just terrified of anything bigger than three foot sort of thing so um that was that was also a difficulty that I had to overcome and in fact thanks to the podcast I had um Chris Mills who's the surf strength coach um on my podcast this summer and he said well maybe you ought to go and see a sports psychologist uh, to overcome the trauma that you had, you know, that first surfing accident. And in fact, I sort of took him um, on his word and went, I didn't see a, a sports psychologist, but I went to see, um, there's something called sophrology in France, which is kind of a relaxation technique. And you can sort of between hypnosis and relaxation. And in fact, since I've been doing these relaxation sort of sessions, I managed to sort of double the size of my waves. So that's been really, wow. really, um, that was an amazing thing to actually um, to do. And that's that's helped my surf, surfing progression as well, is just not being terrified of big waves. So, so that's it, been really good. Is it um, for these sessions, are you going and you're doing it with like a group of people or it's individual it's it's an individual actually uh, it's an individual session it's a sort of a bit like a coaching session and you, she records her voice on a on a sort of recorder and sends you the file and then you kind of practice at home 
Um, and so we've sort of built up um, for the past sort of six months on the different um, different sessions. But I've got a sort of a whole catalogue of, of um, recordings that I can use and practice um, the deep breathing and, um, you know, all the other things. But I tried all sorts of things to overcome the fear. I tried to do uh, free diving courses, you know, for the apnea. Um, I tried to do... Um, Yes, well, obviously surf coaching, but that didn't work because I was just terrified of anything bigger than a than a meter. Um, and um, yeah, so this this has really unblocked the process. I even had these big wave surfers on the podcast, sort of has, who've written books about fear and everything. I had this guy called Al Many uh, last year on my podcast, and he sort of had wrote a whole book about overcoming your fear and and and. Um, and and riding Nazare and you know all sorts of things like that and um, but I couldn't actually apply all his advice because I was just stuck. Um, so this yeah the the, uh, the the actual dealing with the trauma has has unblocked a whole lot of capacities and that's been really important. That's I've never heard of that technique, but I've heard other people talk about um, different like meditation and different mm -hmm. sorts of relaxation techniques. And I do think so much of surfing and also maybe life, it's a physical game, but it's also a mental game. And Absolutely. if you know that for me, my, when my, when I was getting scared, what helped me and also hurt me is I was so, um, so hell bent on being safe that I worked really hard to be able to duck dive huge waves. Right. <laughs> so I could get out and surf oh the huge waves or get out there and be safe and keep safe but I couldn't surf them wow. so I was terrified of the drops <gasps> but I could but I could I wasn't gonna get hurt you know what I'm saying so it's <laughs> yes. like that really you know it's funny what you're and that's a mind game Yes. Yeah. And it's all in the head. It really does resort to what's going in your head, what stories you're telling yourself. Um, and I was also discussing an, uh, with another, another guy who surfed Jaws and he surfed Bellara, which is a big wave in France. And, and there's also a kind of spiritual side to surfing um, that lots of people overlook. And he was sort of saying that, you know, if you are, you do believe that, you know, that the ocean is going to protect you and it's going to be okay. Well, you know, 99.9% that .9 happens, the you know, it does happen the way you want it. So yeah, lot, lots of sort of in the mind, the energy, the, uh, lots of lots of things come into come into place when you're surfing on, you're sitting on, in the lineup and waiting for that wave. Yeah. I've heard that about sharks too. Really? Um, yeah, about energy with sharks. Uh -huh. um, the saying, there was two sayings um, when I surfed in New Zealand. And one was like, you never turn your back on the ocean. So you're never supposed to, you're kind of always supposed to look. And then if you think about sharks, the sharks will come. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's pretty strange. And if you see a shark, you're not supposed to be afraid because they're like whatever you believe, but it's the, it's all about energy and they're mm -hmm. fear based predators. Yeah. So if they feel like you're, you know, suspicious, who knows how true that is, but you know, I always I try. That, to I think that figures actually. And, um, cause I was surfing in Australia this summer and, um, and there is that kind of, 
my kids were terrified. Well, one of my kids was, was terrified. Like he was saying, I don't want to go in the water. I'm going to get eaten up. So we bought these little sort of bracelets, um, that have a sort of magnetic pulsation in them and are supposed to, uh, um, you know, sort of push away any sharks or when they approach, then they sort of turn away and go back. Um, and the first day we went in, the, the guy at the surf shop where we were renting some boards said, I said, well, we got these bracelets. Are they any good for, for sharks and everything? They said, they're completely hopeless. Forget about them. <laughs> and so I saw my, my, my youngest kid and he was sort of going whiter by the minute. And, um, and then at the end of the day, you see all these Australians in the water making the most of the, of the, um, of the sea obviously i wouldn't go surfing in the middle of the night and i wouldn't go surfing um you know after massive rainfall where the water is all sort of grubby and and you can't sort of see through it or anything but yeah there's the when you see the amount of people that are enjoying the sea um you can't be afraid of sharks they've got plenty to eat like <laughs> <laughs> what kind of boards are you riding are you you're mainly sticking to long boards or yeah so right now i've got a um i got two boards uh, that i use mostly i've got a quiver but i use two main boards so for small tiny wave days i've got my stewart 9.0 uh so it's a second hand long board that i found possibly maybe 10 years ago or maybe a bit less eight years ago um, and it's such a good board. Um, it's It does everything kind of thing. It's a single fin. And then another board that I bought in Bali, which is a kind of, it's called a wombat. Um, it's a kind of egg shape, but it's pointy at the end and it's got four fins. Um, but it's a bit, it's been sort of it's so tattered and worn out. It's a disgrace. Like it looks like an old onion kind of thing. <laughs> um, but it's it's great to surf and it's it really does kind of, Take take off in any any kind of size waves, so that's that's a really good one to 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 ride. And then I was given for my a Christmas present a um, almeric fish. Uh, it's pink uh, fish board, and I was just terrified of actually getting knocked out by the one of the corners of the the tail. So I'm a bit sort of wary about using it. Um, I haven't used it for a while, but I've got that in my quiver. Is it epoxy? It's a, it's a resin. Um, okay. It's a beautiful board, but it's um it's not very it doesn't float as well as my other boards, um, and I guess I'm a bit lazy as well. Uh, so I like to have floaty boards where I can paddle out easily. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and I just made the acquisition of a McTavish. Um, this is my first brand new board I've bought for the past sort of. Um, six years and it's a mctavish uh, fireball it's a 9.2 and it is absolutely amazing um and um so but it's it's stayed in australia so i've got to get it imported uh from mctavish so oh wow how does that process work oh yeah. Boards up until the kind of threshold. So the threshold is that your board less well, that the the addition of the board's length, the width, and the height should be less than three meters, so three hundred centimeters. Um, and as soon as you got a long board, well, you're probably already two meters seventy in terms of the length. And then you've got an extra width and a and the height of the board bag that just doesn't fit in in the basic um, basic uh, hold of an airplane. So it has to travel cargo, and uh, and so that's a bit of a long process. Um, and so to get it shipped over, it costs from from Australia. It's going to cost me about 
$750. Oh, Lord. So that's quite a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> so is this a custom? It was shaped custom it, for you? No, or it, No, I actually got it off the shelf, but it works so well. It's as if it's a custom-made board. It really is amazing. Um, yeah, I can even start to nose ride on it. So that's really, really nice. So did you try it while you were in Australia and then yes. you got it? Oh, okay. That's yeah, so cool. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's really nice. How much travel do you do on a yearly basis? Would you say? Um, well, uh, last year, two thousand and nineteen, was a big big year for traveling, um, for surfing travel. Put it that way, because um, I managed to get to Australia in August and then also in December. It was my twentieth wedding anniversary, so we decided to uh, go to Australia for Christmas and New Year. So that's what we did. Um, awesome. So I'm just literally back from Australia. Um, so that was a big year in terms of traveling. Otherwise, we're, um, uh, you know, we travel in around Europe. Um, but yeah, obviously, if we had the chance, we'd go back to, I'd go to California, I'd go to uh, New Zealand, I'd go and visit, you know, all these other amazing surfing ca- uh, countries. Um, definitely. Do you have to include surf in your travel plans? Well, um, not necessarily. Um, I really enjoy uh, hiking as well. And um, uh, so, you know, maybe the next trip will be possibly Peru with a trip to, you know, the mountains and then a trip to the surfing. We're not sure. But, um, yeah, yeah. also skiing, you know, the mountains, anything, anything that's got an active holiday is usually our cue. We're not into traveling to cities or spending too much time in big cities. We're mostly nature enthusiasts. And are you traveling as a whole family? Well, up until last year, we were, um, and we took the kids with us to Australia. They were my kids now. Um, the eldest is 19 and the youngest is 17. So they're now really grown up and they've decided that that was their last holiday with parents kind of thing. Oh, okay. Uh, they're not interested. <laughs> they're grown. In going with, yeah, they've sort of grown out of that. But before, yeah, they were like, we'd just pack them in the suitcase and they would go anywhere. Um, they were really good. You know, you sort of slap them in front of an iPod or an iPad or a, or a Nintendo DS and they'd travel for hours and hours and hours on end. Uh, they were, they're really good. Um, and, you know, there weren't any fights in the back of the car or, or you know, things like that. Um, that's been a, that's been a blessing um so we've been able to travel quite long distances with them but yeah now it's it's just the two of us so it's a rebirth basically of the sort of new um new 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 travel plans so uh yeah that's cool it's really <laughs> cool it's interesting to see those uh f- phases in life it's yeah always um interested me to see how people you know I guess approach that or approach I know some people are like I'm not traveling with my kids I'm not doing it <laughs> you know so um it's it's interesting to hear I'm um I'm curious about your business in terms of how do you I have this this theory. I'll start with this. I have this theory about surfers that they're mm-hmm. either like very entrepreneurial in spirit, or they are like surf bumps, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so, and this podcast has pretty much confirmed this uh, theory <laughs> of mine. <laughs> but um, did you kind of were you always entrepreneurial at heart? 
or did you kind of have that because of surfing? Um, I guess I was, I was, I've always been entrepreneurial. I've always dreamt of having my own business. Um, and yeah, when I was little, I wanted to be a businesswoman, you know, kind of thing. That was, I I wanted to be an actress, an architect or a businesswoman. Um, and uh, so that was my sort of childhood dreams. I think that having also my dad as a, as a role model in terms of entrepreneur, that was, that was kind of probably important for me. Um, my husband's family were all entrepreneurs as well. So it's been a kind of cultural family sort of setting. And, um, um, I think that surfing's helped me be more adventurous, um, that I probably wasn't before I took surfing up again for the second time. Um, and so that's been, that's been an exciting, exciting part of it, um, is actually sort of, yeah, the adventure side of it and the why not kind of side of it. So, um, you know, when I was umming and ahhing about sort of changing, pivoting my business from organic food products to becoming a freelance marketer, I thought, well, why not start a podcast? Well, why not start a podcast? You know, there's nothing holding you back. And and at the moment, I'm I'm working on a project of actually maybe starting a microbrewery. Um, so right now I'm brewing my beer at home, you know, in the kitchen and everything. And uh, hopefully maybe in a year's time or a couple of years time, I'll be able to set up my first sort of brand um, for beer. And, oh, cool. um, yeah, so that's that's what I'm working on at the moment. Um, and my problem is that I love learning to do things, um, and so that learning curve for me is a is a challenge. But at the same time, I just love it. And then when I get into kind of cruising altitude, it kind of gets a bit boring, and I sort of decide to sort of jump onto another project. So um, yeah, that's 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 my personality. That's like that, I guess. I'm a bit sort of scatterbrain. <laughs> <laughs> well. But it, it it just keeps everything interesting. I'm yeah. I can I can definitely be uh, similar in that way too. Um, you should come to the Great Lakes uh, where we live. Oh, uh, absolutely! Because Michigan is a like the number one exporter of microbreweries in America. Actually, wow, they're so Seriously? yeah to the point where our big liquor, quote unquote, uh, like Budweiser, Amheuser Busch, they have like five times their marketing budget in the state of Michigan because people are not buying that beer; they're really? buying the homegrown <laughs> beer. Yeah, it's a culture that changed like maybe a year or two years after the financial crisis. People were out of work and they just started brewing beer, and now it's become. I mean, you can't go 10 miles, 15 miles without seeing microbrewery, microbrewery everywhere in Michigan. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's so, that's so exciting. I knew that there was a big microbrewery market in, in realize it started in Michigan that's amazing yeah I'm not sure if it started there but it's definitely been perfected there (laughs) (laughs) um my last business related question just because this is kind of interesting I guess maybe it's a repeat question but I'm curious what things you do to keep stable so that you um can act without fear or I don't know if I'm maybe phrasing this question in a, in a good way, but I'm just interested, um, maybe either 
money-wise or asset-wise, what you're doing to feel more stable so that you can take more risks? Okay. Um, I guess this is um, – so having sort of had our own business for years and years and years – with the family, um, with my husband. Uh, we also, at the same time, kind of, we started young. Um, and we also bought our first house. And I guess that we've been building on, um, how do you say? We've been, I've, I guess we've been capitalizing on that first decision of buying a house very, very young and actually doing work on it and improving it and, you know, improving the interior design and, and actually making profits. And every house that we've built and sold, um, we've actually sort of made, made a jump into our kind of financial stability. Um, and right now, uh, the financial stability is so much so that we haven't got any mortgage on our house uh, that we're living in right now. Um, and that actually sort of helps enormously to actually take risks and uh, not have that sort of debt. Um, and so we've been building on that for the past maybe 20 years, actually sort of building on um, getting out of debt um, and and capitalizing on what we know what to do best. So our, I guess our, our core our, our, our core profession with my husband is actually redoing houses and actually making um, added value to housing projects. Even though my business is like marketing and and his business is building houses for other people, but we've actually sort of made a real core um, value in in doing that. And um, and it also like for example, my house is going to be on Airbnb this summer so that we can pay for our holidays or travel or whatever. Um, and that's how, yeah, we're really capitalising on that um, on that how do you say uh, real estate value uh, more than actually any of our businesses have ever have ever sort of brought us in terms of revenue or or income. It's basically been our main a place of residence that has actually sort of enabled us to climb that climb that sort of financial stability ladder. So yeah, that's that's how I've managed to secure and actually to also sort of be able to think, well, why not, you know, why not start a brewery? Let's let's go online and sort of find <laughs> out how it works. <laughs> well yeah. And um hearing that's what's I think is interesting or helpful maybe to people that are listening. Um I think it's very easy for the surfing world or people that have the kind of like live in a van travel lifestyle to seem really glamorous. But I think um, your story, hearing the, you know, how you have this, the stability or how you got the stability is, I think it's, an, at least for me, it's inspiring because then you kind of, you can see how to create a life that w works for you. If that yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, no, it's, it's been, it's been really like, it's only been for the past sort of five years that we've actually achieved that financial independence. Um, but it's been worth so much um, because basically we, all we have to do is capitalize on what we know, on our work experience. And, and from then on, then, you know, if we need to make, I don't know, half, half a million euros in, in a, in a, in a new project, we'll know how to do it. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, we'll have that sort of starting capital if we sell our house. We'll have a starting capital to sort of redo a new project and and to build up from there. 
Mind you, I haven't got any savings in terms of retirement savings. You know, this is <laughs> yeah. this is definitely something that hasn't been planned. Um, and in in fact, arriving at my age and you know all the books that I'm reading at the moment, it's you think well we've got to think about it sometime. So we've got to now work on the next the next ten years are going to be really focused on maximising our 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 capital or our our finances to um to actually sort of have a have some sort of revenue for a retirement fund or whatever um so yeah that's that's our next step but we're not we're not there yet not completely <laughs> there <laughs> or what inspired you to start the podcast i know you said it was for marketing but um yeah well um Actually, I'm I'm a great fan of the Rich Roll podcast. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's it's a bit like Joe Rogan, and he invites people that he's just about subjects that he loves to talk about. So um, he's a he's a ultra ultra man uh, endurance athlete. So he he invites loads of athletes that talk about, you know, their training schedules or whatever. He's also into, um, sort of new age, spiritual, um, you know, guru, blah, 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 sort of stuff. And that, that's really interesting as well, because you get a kind of outside op- opinion on, uh, meditation and things like that. And he's also a vegan athlete. So you get lots of info on, you know, the vegan diet and the people he invites are really sort of interesting as well and, and have lots of theories and everything. And so that's, that was something that I wanted to achieve um, in my podcast. So basically, my my podcast is conversations with creatives, entrepreneurs, thinkers, and dreamers who also happen to be surfers. So we've got that surfing thing in common. But what I what I really find inspiring in the surfing community is that yeah, like you were saying, you know, there are lots of uh, entrepreneurs. There are lots of beach bums, and there are uh, people in between. But it's it's really exciting that servers have a sort of weird and windy way of creating a career or creating a a job that will actually enable them to surf as often as possible and um and will find all the sort of creative means to actually make that work and they've got some great minds and they've got they've traveled a lot you know there are all sorts of things that I have in common, um, I guess, with the surfing community. And um, and that's what, something that I really wanted to sort of connect with. And also, yeah, I guess to connect with some people um, who are like-minded as well. That was, some, well, that was one of the things that motivated me to, to start this podcast. And the, the ride has been amazing, like, you know, talking to people in Australia, talking to people in America, talking to people all over Europe, um, all sorts of origins, all sorts of paths of life, you know, um, writers, big wave surfers. They don't have to be famous. You know, anybody who's doing something um, that actually sort of justifies that they can go and surf at the same time is just really exciting to learn about. And I've learned a lot actually through the podcast uh, from from my guests and they've helped me to grow too and they've helped me to overcome the fear as well. Like I don't know if it was the same with you, but starting a podcast was like really, really frightening and daunting and listening to your own voice and, uh, you That's know. so weird. Having, yeah, having to sort of cope with that. And um, and in fact, if you lift, listen to the, my first episodes and the episodes that I do now, you can actually see that confidence growing. Um, and that's a really, really sort of nice progression. And so, yeah, that's uh, that's my um, that's been my journey. Um, 
but it's been a great it's a great journey it's it's so fascinating to sort of meet up with new people and basically yeah the rich world podcast this this the 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 um the, the host he also travels to actually meet his guests oh, so my cool. idea in the back of my mind was whoa what if i could travel to all yeah. these cool places and do the interviews at the same time you know so um um that was that, that was the sort of the, the end goal but um obviously you know uh, better than, uh, as well as me that actually growing a podcast following and <laughs> and listening and listeners and everything isn't as easy but it's it's a marathon like you have to start small and grow bit by bit and um that's what i'm doing basically with my podcast and how long have you been running your podcast i started in october 2018 so it's been over a year um, so far, I'm 43 episodes in, um, and I started at a one episode a week with some breaks from time to time. Um, and then lately, I had a really, really big project for my business. Then I had to sort of um, uh, draw it out to one episode every two weeks. So so far, it's one episode every two weeks. That's cool. Yeah. It's, it's 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 funny to talk to people that also that to someone that also has a podcast because it's like a similar you know it's it, it totally is a marathon because and it's yeah what's interesting or what's been interesting for us is to see like which ones do well and which ones don't um and you just sometimes you just never know like you just never know you know like this one's gonna be you know, huge. And then it, it's not. And then it's just a, kind of a, a trip to see. And I, it's always interesting to me to see why people start anything, but especially a podcast, because like you said, it is, you have to really put yourself out there to get people on your podcast. Yes. And yeah. then also to get people to listen to it exactly exactly so yeah it was it was very it was very daunting at the beginning but what I did start with was build a, um, an Instagram kind of following so I started I sort of started thinking about the podcast maybe in May and then launched in October so it gave me sort of six months to create a sort of listening or not listening but a um, a base a community that I could sort of leapfrog off um, once the podcast had started and then also what's really good with podcasts is that you can ask your guests to pro to promote their episode and that that also sort of helps with the reach of the of the episodes and it's kind of organic and then and then if people like the podcast then they're going to download all the episodes so if you've got 10 episodes then that's good but if you've got 40 episodes they'll download all 40 episodes so the the numbers sort of grow exponentially which is really exciting and very encouraging but I pod faded loads of times um so pod fading for the listeners is like you get so burnt out with podcasting that you have to take a break or you even ah. think about giving up um <laughs> and that's happened to me a couple of times because at the beginning I had a I did everything on my own so I made them my own music I made you know did all the editing that I'd never done in my whole life I did the editing and I had to learn how to use the editing software and then I had um uh, you know, to get, sort of get the guests online and then sort of thank you and create all the goodies that are around it. So all the, all the, um, the assets like the photos and the quotes and, and I sort of put the, put the standard up really high where I wanted to make Pinterest quotes for every episode and, you know, have all the visuals done. And so it was just, 
it was so time consuming. It just, I just completely pod faded. Um, and then I took a few weeks off and then came back stronger than ever. But yeah, that that's happened to me for a couple of times. Do you like, um, do you try to have a couple of episodes in your like, you know, a library, a backlog yeah, or arsenal yeah. or whatever? I'm, I'm very bad about that. In fact, um, I at the beginning I did and then I didn't and it was like really really stressful because every week it would be oh my god what am I going to do for this yeah. week like you know um, when when is the uh, episode coming when, when, you know I've got to find a guest and I've got to record it and then I've got to make the edit it and then I've got to script the intro and the outro and the blah 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 blah, blah. and so it was really really sort of extremely stressful um and then I actually got two, I did recorded too many podcast episodes all in a row. And that was even worse because like you just sort of, it tires you out so much to record an episode. You have to be so focused and yeah. so concentrated and, and you have to think up all the questions and do, well, for, for my case, it, uh, I do a lot of research on the guest and, and, you know, try and find some interesting questions to ask and, and, and talk about sort of whatever. Um, and, um, yeah, that was really stressful, um, and very tiring. And then I sort of, so I kept a backlog, but it, I, I noticed that the the I'd lost all the sort of oomph um, in the episodes, and so I thought, well, that's not a good idea. So I think the good balance is maybe to have two or three episodes in advance, and then um, uh, and then you don't sort of lose the, the the enthusiasm, but you do you do have some backup, which is important. Yeah, it's it is hard. That's I told you I have that rule of not doing two episodes back to back. I made that yeah. mistake. Um, and, uh, and it, oh my gosh, and an in-person one, and I had two guests back to back. They were totally different people, and both—I don't know how this happened—but both podcasts ended up being awesome. But for the to- <laughs> the second one, I told my husband who he edits the podcast. I was like, I, and I even told the guests, I was like, I'm, I was so tired. I don't even know if I ask you anything interesting. I don't know what <laughs> happened. And then I felt guilty because then I put doubt in him. Like, you know, but it, it turned it it turned out okay. But it is it's it's weird how tiring it is to to talk and give your whole attention to one person. Well, exactly. And you have to be a really good listener. And yes. that's something that's um, really important. Uh, letting your guests talk and then sort of picking up on what they, uh, especially your format, uh, where it's just winging it all the time. You have to be such a good listener and you're doing a really good job, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. It's, it's been, for me, it's been a challenge because um, naturally I could talk forever. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's been, um, it's been so good for me also doing the video aspect. We kind of switched back and forth between doing video and not. Um, the audio is better when you don't do video because you get a clearer um, thing. But as you know, you can't see people's facial cues. You can't see, um, you know, when someone's finished, when they made, they might have stopped talking, but then they had another thought. And then yeah. some of our middle episodes, I was really cutting people off because I didn't have that face-to-face kind of interaction. And um, I mean, it's it wasn't a huge deal, but it it does make it makes a big difference. So yeah, 
Yeah, <laughs> I totally understand that. And um, actually, it's terrible because I've had some episodes where, like, the, the 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 guest was in the same country as me, and the the connection was terrible, and you have to re-record. And, I mean, that's so so embarrassing. But yeah, that's that part of the pod podcast adventure is you got to sort of, you got to you got to improvise and you got to sort of make the most of occasions and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So what is the weirdest wave that you have ever surfed? Well, I'd be tempted to say the one that actually sort of took me to the bottom. But no, yeah. the weirdest wave, um, the weirdest wave. What do you mean by weird? So what's interesting with this question, I ask every guest this question and everybody's take on weird is different. So it can be whatever you think is weird, whether it's the the spot is weird. We had someone talk about the people at the spot were weird. The wave itself <laughs> is a strange wave. The location, whatever you think is weird. Okay. Um, well, I guess the weirdest waves that I know are the ones that happen in the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not necessarily a place that you'd imagine. It's a little bit like sort of uh, big uh, great lake surfing you don't necessarily think of the mediterranean as a place to go surfing and um actually we are quite fortunate um but they are they're kind of choppy um there's no there's no um you say there's no tides ah. so you just when they're on they're on all day which is really good so there's no low tide or high tide just to calculate which is really nice and um and I guess it's they're my favourites uh, because they're not too big either. Um, they sort of, well, they do get over two metres, but that's like three times a year. So that's otherwise it's it's kind of kind of nice. And if you are up early or you you got some time off, um, there's some really good waves to be to be had. Um, but you have to be ready. And I guess that's also what has encouraged me to be on my own. Um, boss is actually to be the opportunist in life and to sort of drop everything and go off surfing when the waves are on um, and I find that that's that's quite sort of common in a lot of surfers that I interview too is that they want to be ready uh, when the surf is on and uh, um, yeah so that's that that's something that comes that comes up comes to mind but yeah the weirdest ways so to answer your question would be the Mediterranean but Come and visit. Come and visit in the summer. Yeah. Uh, sorry, in the winter. Don't come in the summer. In the summer, it's just tourists, old people, and boys. You know the boys, the um, bubbles are floating in the water. So <laughs> you, you'll be, you know, you'll have, you'll sort of be bumping into them. But otherwise, um, yeah, you'll. Uh, uh, Med's a really nice place to come and come and surf. I'm sure it's a bit warmer than the Great Lakes as well. <laughs> yeah, that sounds. Uh, that sounds pretty <laughs> nice. We we definitely have some Euro trips to do. We've we had a lot of people from France actually in a really? strange. Yeah, I mean, I not that it's strange. It's just you never. Um, I never plan that. So, um, but we have had quite a few different people from from France talking about the waves, and it sounds like sounds great. Um, I usually ask people what their biggest scare was while surfing, but I feel <laughs> like maybe you've already answered that question unless you have another <laughs> scary surf story you would like to share with us. Um, no, I guess that was the scariest scary um, surfing session was the one that happened in um, when I gave up surfing the first time. 
yeah um otherwise i'm just trying to think there have been some scary things like in bali um but mostly because there's no help like when you're in these tropical islands or in indonesia in general um especially when you're surfing with your family and your kids uh there is always something at the back of your mind sort of thinking oh god what if things went wrong um where's the nearest hospital uh there are no coast guards you know you could get lost on the boat the boat could sort of come off the anchor could come off and then you you're sort of stuck in the middle of nowhere you know all sorts of things like that which um which are kind of hazardous um but, but no the scariest the scariest thing i've had to um the scariest situation was in the canary islands being smashed on the rock definitely yeah that's scary. <laughs> it's scary enough to make you quit. It's a pretty good, uh, big scare moment. <laughs> yeah. And um, my last question is, what is next for you? What is next for me? Well, there's this brewery thingy. Um, so I've just, um, I bought a kit a couple of months ago and and did some beer with the kit and it were it was delicious absolutely beautiful, and then I ordered online some more stuff but it was the kind of random. And um, so the hops, they weren't the the pellets, they were real hops. And uh, so I was trying to get used to making a proper recipe for beer. And right now there's a there's a batch that's brewing um, and it'll be ready next week. And maybe by next week, I'll tell you if I have a future in brewing or not. So <laughs> <Okay>. it's absolutely <laughs> disgusting. Uh, and uh, I'm not good at brewing at all. But actually, I learned whilst I was doing this project that... Uh, my mum told me that when she was, well, when I was little, um, they used to brew beer at home as well. Um, so that was in the 70s or early 80s. Um, and they said, well, you know, we had loads of parties. And the only reason we had loads of parties is that we could afford the beer. And the only reason we could afford the beer was because we were brewing it ourselves. So it was all homebrew <laughs> beer. So I didn't even know that. I learned that a couple of months ago. But yeah. So that's the next step is brewing and um podcast i just launched um a podcast shop with my merch oh, um cool. so you can actually get a podcast t-shirt or sweatshirt or hoodies um i've done some greeting cards with my art um i've done all sorts of little things that you can do to help support my podcast so that's um that's on and i'm thinking about changing my um changing my sort of branding for the whole podcast so thinking about changing the the, the cover of the podcast but that's that's a kind of long haul thing because you have to go into all the backlog ex episodes oh, and yeah. so that's going to be kind of complicated so i'm thinking about that but um that's that's next and then yeah basically keeping my business customers content i've just finished a really big project uh, which is a fascinating project i've been um working for a customer a Franco-African customer, and they've just uh, launched a system that enables to um, register uh, babies at birth. So in Africa, half the population is not registered at birth, and half the population does not exist legally. So that means uh, no schools, no governments, no uh, no possibility of having a job. There's human trafficking, you know, all sorts mm. of things are happening. And I was uh, designated to do their websites and logo and um, all their sort of social media. So that was been, that's been a really exciting project to work for. Um, and I'm very excited that, that that's just launched this week, actually. So, yeah. 
<laughs> That's awesome. And if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you? Okay, that you can find me on Instagram at the Ocean Riders Podcast, all in one word. My website is theoceanriderspodcast.com. Um, you can find the Ocean Riders Podcast on Facebook. And you can also find out me on Twitter. Um, and uh, the Ocean Riders Shop is theoceanridersshop.com. And um, that's where you'll be able to find my merch if you want to support my podcast. And yeah, that's that's about it. And then if not, um, Imogen Barno on LinkedIn and on Facebook. Um, so Imi Barno for the podcast and Imogen Barno for the sort of professional thingy. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This was so fun. Well, this is great. Well, we must meet up for another episode um, for me to interview you this time and make an episode on, on your history with surfing. Yes, for sure. That's perfect. So that's great. Then, good. I hope that you enjoyed it. And uh... I did. I had a lovely time. It was so weird being on the other side of the mic um, for a podcast, but it's been a, a pleasure to talk to you and, uh, and get to meet you. And I really, really enjoy the concept of your podcast and it's very uh, liberating. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I um, I'm looking forward to the reverse too. I think um, I feel like I'm hoping that it'll kind of make me think about you know a different way to do it, and also kind of what it's like to be a guest. So that it's, it'll be good to be in the hot seat. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> well, well right, awesome. then I'll check out your calendar you. and. Um, yeah. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much. You too. Have a great day in uh, in America. I will. <laughs> I will. Thank you. See ya. All right. Then take care. See you. Bye. Ciao. Ciao. And that was episode 28. I really hope that you guys enjoyed it. Um, keep an eye out. Maybe you'll see me guest spotting on a different podcast. We'll see what happens in the future. Um, you can check out Emmy's podcast at Ocean Riders Podcast. And she does do a lot of freelance work, so I will um, link all of that info down below. And yeah, I will see you guys next Monday with another episode.